Hi, I'm Jack Canfield. You may know me as the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, including Chicken Soup for the Baseball Fan Soul with Tommy Lasorda, and also the author of The Success Principles and featured teacher in the movie The Secret. And if you haven't heard about the 162 Challenge by now, I hope you have. This is a really great, great pledge opportunity for you to make a difference to four charities that are helping kids, that are helping fallen firefighters, that are really making a difference in the world. And what you get to do is for every home run that the Yankees hit, you can pledge from 50 cents up to $5 for every home run. And that money then will be charged to you and go to the cause. And if you're a Yankees fan, you want them to hit home runs. So it's a win-win all around. So I always support anything that supports good causes, so I'm supporting this. So, so Steve, Steve and Mary Beth are doing this great challenge. They're going to every single Yankees game this year. That well, That's either a commitment or craziness, <laughs> but I honor them. I wish I was going. It's really cool. And so you can be part of this. Make sure you pledge. Make a difference. We're always asked, what can I do to make a difference? This is how you can. So go and do it right now. Go to 162crew.com. Hey, welcome back to the 162 Experience. Returning, it's always a good sign when someone comes back to uh, the 162 Experience. We got uh, three-time All-Star, Silver Slugger, Golden Globe uh, Award winner, Brett Boone. Brett, thanks for being back thanks, on Steve. the uh, show. You got it, my pleasure. First time I had you in my house, and this might even be a little bit weirder. We're in a hotel room together. We're in a hotel room, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, you're out here uh, on the East Coast seeing your son, uh, Jake, who's at Princeton. He is, he is. Uh, manning the cold weather. That's horrible. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how East Coast, I don't know how you do it. Yeah. We were talking a little bit before the show about uh, going to all 162 games and how you thought we were lunatics. Oh, yes. That would be tough for me. You know, I think I've seen too many games, you know. Um, I've been to four this year, which is way out of my comfort zone. Usually four in a year would be big for me, but I've had four in the first month, so a couple of Yankee games, a couple of Padre games. But uh, Well, what's really crazy is you just flew all the way back to the West Coast and then back again within the, since, within the last three days or so, right? Father of the year. <laughs> yeah. No, I took my, uh, my twin boys. I came out to see their brother. You know, the first and foremost, we're seeing the brother. Then we get to see Uncle Aaron up in... in uh, in the Bronx, and then uh, now my daughter, who's about to graduate from USC in, in a couple weeks, uh, she hasn't seen her brother since Christmas, so oh, wow. I planned another little trip out here to watch him play Columbia a couple days. We saw a Yankee game last night, and um, then I'll head back to normal life. Great, and your uh, Savannah is your daughter's name? Yes. She She's in broadcasting, right? Yes. Is that yes. Her, her goal or her big... Yeah, she's, uh, well, she's a business major, and the minor in this and that, but she's done a lot of... Um, She's done a lot of work in front of the camera, and she's she's interning actually with my agent's company hmm. in um, in L.A. right now. Uh, so she's doing she's getting really uh, educated on the behind the scenes stuff as well as in front of the camera. So she you know she's telling me like last night we were at the Yankee game. She's you know it's funny because my daughter's twenty one and she seems to be all grown up, but she's still a little girl inside, which is cool for for dad to see that. Uh, but she was telling me before the games, you know, when, when they'd have the highlights coming up, of maybe last series or something like that. Um, she's like, yeah, Dad, this comes on at 6 o'clock. I do these reels. I do the editing. So, uh, you know, kind of a proud moment for me. Like, yeah. wow, she's learning, you know. So she's w very well versed, not only in front but behind the camera. And she worked for, uh, I think this year with her, with her school schedule, it was tough for her to be a part of. USC has a... Uh, 
a show, and it's kind of they set it up like a sports center show where they have a USC Trojans desk in a studio, and then they have people out in the field, you know, and Savannah would be at football practice or a baseball practice interviewing one of the players, kick it back to, and sometimes she'd be at the desk at the studio. So it, it kind of gives them a, a, you know, kind of a preview of, of what it's like out there being a real, you know, being on Fox or, or being on NBC or something like that. Sure. Uh, it's good training, but she's got her reel all ready to go. So uh, who knows? You know, the, the one thing as a dad I don't want to do is tell her what to do. You know, I've been telling her, well, if I were you, this is how I would do Dad, you know, I said, all right, it's your life. Go get a job then. <laughs> so. Well, it's good. And it's a different world today. You know, the, the whole, uh, you know, social media and broadcasts and everything mm -hmm. else like that, as much as the, the game's the same, there's so many. You know, things are just going so much faster these days. Yeah, definitely. And, and um, hey, let's, uh, I know what the last time we interviewed you, your book has come out. And we talked a lot about what was in the book, which was a lot of fun for me, a lot of great stories. We didn't talk so much about the process of writing the book. What was that like for you? <sighs> Educational. Um, first of all, I never thought I'd ever write a book or think about it. And once I got into it, it was, it was kind of a, you know, it was kind of, it was twofold. It was, um, it was an educational process, how it works. Uh, but it was also kind of a trip down, you know, remembering my childhood and bringing back, because a lot of the book is, is talking about grandpa. Yeah. And how, you know, and I, I was very close with him. And um, just, you know, 10, 12 years later, after he passed away, reminiscing and going through all the old stories that, you know, sometimes grandpa's would be in the car, we'd be going to, you know, spring training. You know, I'm going to the ballpark to, you know, for my daily thing. And, and he'd be telling me this Bob Feller story for the <laughs> 20th time. And I'm like, Gramps, can't you get it through your head? Randy Johnson's way better than Bob Feller. Uh, and at the time, it's like, yeah, I heard it, done it, heard it again, heard it again. But when you get to go through it, it just remember, it reminded me of how cool that was and what a cool grandpa I had. You know, there's not too many... You know, I, I look at myself, I'm probably the only one that's been through uh, from the feller ages. Uh, he can talk about Bob Feller and, and Ted Williams firsthand yeah. and give me these stories that I wasn't born when they were playing. Um, and so basically from the 40s through current, Yeah. you know, and uh, it just reminded me how special my childhood was and how cool that was. As far as writing the book, um, Went out, I, I interviewed probably three or four ghostwriters. And not necessarily, I'm not going to sit there and and, uh, and judge them on their baseball knowledge or anything. That's not going to go very well with me, probably. Yeah. But, I, but I picked the guy that I thought could best, uh, if I could answer questions, he could put them in my words as good as I thought possible. And he ended up doing a really good job. I mean, we'd go over, uh, it was a basic formula we had is at nine o'clock we've got a meeting you know we're going to talk for for uh usually it was about a half hour mm -hmm. and he was ready and I mean that phone at nine o'clock he meant nine o'clock and he would call me and I'd answer the phone and and he'd say you, re you ready to go Brad I said I'm ready to go are you ready and he'd go boom and he'd have the questions and it was like we'd never stop talking I mean we didn't reminisce about hey how you doing you know how yeah. was the weather back in New York he's he's from New York it was basically Boom, and we'd riff for a half an hour, and I would give him all the answers he wanted. He says, all right, I'll talk to you Wednesday at nine o'clock. <clears throat> and Wednesday at nine o'clock, boom, same thing. And then Friday at nine o'clock, we'd meet again, and he would send me the complete first chapter. Hmm. 
and now I'd put it up on the screen and I'd scroll through it and we'd go line by line and, and we would edit and say, no, this doesn't sound like me. This sounds more like what I would say. Yeah. And we'd have to make the thing and then boom, next Monday we'd start chapter two. And we'd go through that. The tough part for me was the very end where I had to edit the entire thing. You know, you get tired after a while and you miss little segments. I found the segments I missed that I wouldn't have written that way uh, when I went through the, the uh, audio version. That was the toughest job I've ever had. I went into a little studio, a tiny little space, <laughs> sitting in a chair like this. I got the mics on, you know, I'm in the soundproof room and I've got somebody out there. Well, could you read that sentence again? And I had to do that for 200 and I don't know, 60 pages. And it's seven hours of audio, right? You know, and I've done a lot of commercial work where, you know, I do a commercial uh, and you're in a studio and you're doing a 20 second bit and it probably takes you two and a half hours to get it exactly how the sound people want it to sound. Did you enunciate this word correctly? I had to do that for 260 pages of a book. And I, I mean, I remember by the end of, of some of those segments just going, I mean, I would be reading off this. The, it's like things were starting to happen. And I'd be like, the hill, we're done. You know, I couldn't even read anymore because when you read nonstop for six hours straight. Um, and your voices get hoarse, right? Oh, it was it was unbelievable. Like yeah. I said, it was the toughest job I've ever had. Yeah, but how, many, how many segments did it take to do it? Like? I think all said and done, it took us about 18 hours okay. of uh, sitting in there. You know, I'd go a couple hours and I'd take a break and get something, to, you know, get a drink and get uh, get something to eat. But uh, it was an interesting process. I wouldn't want to do that part <laughs> again. But the book part, it, you know what, it came out all right. At first, I was very skeptical. Very like, I don't want to write a book. But but like I said, when the material was there and I, and I got to go back through all the old stories, it was kind of cool. It was a cool trip down memory lane if yeah, you want to say that to be able to have something you know tangible to remember your grandfather yeah. and, and, and like i said it, it, the the reservations i have with books and you know nowadays especially with social media and everything so oh give me the good yeah. you know what goes on in a major league clubhouse that's that's for us yeah that's nobody's business sure. but i could give you a little a little peek from <laughs> the outside behind the curtain of what it's like without really getting into you know uh but the interesting part and how they sold me to finally do the book was we're going to talk about your grandpa and your dad and what was it like being in the unique position I was in, being the first one coming up through that third and then having a uh, son that's a freshman in college playing baseball, you know, which is potentially a fourth generation. Uh, I had to take that as, as this, this doesn't happen every day and, and, and made me really appreciate what I had and... and really uh, how proud I am of my family and what they've been able to accomplish. Absolutely, without a doubt. How much research did you have to do on your own as far as like, you know, for instance, I was, I was listening to the audiobook uh, over the last couple of days and you're going into detail about like the 1980s uh, World Series, you know, I think it was playing the Royals, right? Phillies Royals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, you know, the slider and then the curveball. I mean, you, you obviously don't remember that. You were like 11 or 12. Did you have to go like, like Google the game and see what was going on, or did you? No, that was more done by people doing the research. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I just took their word for it, <laughs> you know. Um, but no, I, I I could just give them that. You know, I do have vivid, uh, I do have vivid uh, memories of those times, because I was so much in. I mean, the biggest thing in my life at that point was 
when dad said, yes, you can come to the ballpark today and I can put on my Phillies uniform and I can shag and I can hang around with the guys all day. I mean, that was my biggest thrill. And I think and when, came through in the book. Yeah, and when he told me I couldn't go to the ballpark, it was like you just took, you know, it would be comparable today to taking away the kids' computers and their phones. <laughs> They'd sit up in the room, they wouldn't know what to do. Um, so that was very vivid, still is in my mind. Uh, being on the, I remember they won the World Series. I remember the party after the game. You know, I went back that night and I slept at Pete Rose's house. And I remember him waking me up in the morning very abruptly. And, uh, you know, we went to the float and we, you know, we went down and saw all those people. And at the time, I'm just thinking, you know, this is what I do. This is, you know, my dad, millions of people come out and cheering because they won the World Series. That's pretty cool. But, um, you know, looking back, what a special time that was. And as a player, you know, I got to witness so many great things in All-Star Games and World Series, but I never won a World Series, and I never got to get on that float as a player. So uh, it just kind of hammered home how, how cool that is to be a world champion. Everybody doesn't get to do it. Absolutely. You know, some of, some of the greatest players ever put on this uniform. For sure. Now, you know, and what comes to mind to me is Ken Griffey. You know, Junior's the best player I've ever played with. Um, and he never even got to a World Series. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, that's the thing in sports nowadays where, where commentators or so-called experts will say, well, how many rings does he have? I, I kind of laugh at that. Like, it ain't about the rings. I mean, it is about it, but it has nothing to do with you as an athlete, how many rings you have. Like I said, I just rattled off. I play with a lot of great players. And the greatest player I ever played with never got to a World Series. Mm. And it, not, it wasn't for lack of greatness. So it just shows you how much it is a team game and how much you gotta have the boys around you. It doesn't matter how great you are. You know, Barry Bonds is the greatest player to ever walk this earth. How many rings does he have? No. Zero. Mm. So it just shows you, you know, other sports, I think it's different. I think it's different. And in basketball, if you've got three stars, mm. you got a chance. In baseball, if you've got three stars, it doesn't matter. Because you got a 25-man roster and you better have that bullpen and you better have that defense and you better have the, you know, it's it just, there's so many different things going on. You know, I look at the Braves of the nineties, they got one ring. It's arguably the greatest starting rotation Absolutely. in the history of the game. So I, I think we should, I, I don't like the emphasis always being putting on the rings. You know, I know a lot of guys out there with four rings that aren't very good players. They were okay. Yeah. They just happened to be on a miracle ride, you know? So, uh, of course, rings are important. Rings are awesome. As an athlete, it's got to be the ultimate. Uh, I never got one. I got a second-place ring with Atlanta. <laughs> Yankees whooped us. Um, but there's a lot more to it than that. And um, do you think the game, the game's obviously changed a lot. Do you think it's changed, like, with the, with the trade deadline? And the fact <clears> that literally with those last two months, you can construct. If you've got a missing piece, it seems like now more than ever you can plug in a piece, whether it's a reliever or... You can plug in a piece, but you, it, it doesn't guarantee you anything. You know, I, I, uh, I worked for the Oakland A's for a couple of years, and I remember a few years back they, they, were, <clears throat> they were having a really good year, and they went for it, and they went out and they got the left, Lester, mm -hmm. and they got, sure. I forget who the righty was from the Cubs, uh, and they really went for it, and it didn't work out. Uh, different example is, is Houston last year goes out and gets Verlander. It, it gives them a shot in the arm, and, and uh, Verlander pitched – is best baseball he's pitched in years yeah. down the stretch and is still pitching that way now. So it's not a it's not an automatic just because you make a big move. But uh, I do appreciate the teams that do make the move because a lot of people don't. They stand pat, and 
you know, there's there's more levels to it than just making a move. It's it's the it's <clears throat> I think in that when it comes in it he, for the general manager, he's got to have a pulse on the team and know that team and know that personalities in that room and know how important is it for us to make a move and what is that piece, because as players we sit there, and you got to realize we've got no say. You know, we know if we need another piece or not. Mm. And we're sitting at that deadline and we're like, just get us one more. And they don't get it. It's like, okay, we got to gather and say, us 25 in this room, it's just us. It's us against everybody, you know. We can only hope to get the piece at the right time, but not always. You know, there's been some years where we got a piece and there's been some years where we didn't. And uh, how that affects the individuals in that clubhouse. Um, you know, the years that we did get that piece at the, at the trading deadline, wow, that's a, sh that's a shot to players saying, well, the big guy, the owner of the team, he's got our back. He's, yeah. he's all in, you know, because all we want to do is win. That's all we want to do. Yeah, and then now the fans are relying on it too. I mean, everybody's watching everything. And yeah, and, and it, it's just as much from a physical, having, having a, a key piece at the right time, it's also a very big mental underlying tone. Mm -hmm. um, for that sets of pace going forward. Yeah, um, you talk you talk a lot in your um, the book Home Game, which we'll have uh, pictures up on the uh, the screen during the podcast. Of it, great book, loved it. Uh, read it the first time, then read it again this week just to get you know. Get and I can't believe you listened to it. Yeah, well, but great. we're all we're all the same though. We, not too it's many great. people I know like listening to themselves. I mean, it was nauseating for me. I hate hearing, you know, and you always got the people in the studio going, wow, you've got a great speaking voice. And I'm going, I hate my voice. I don't want to hear it. I just want to take the, you know. I'm the same way. Like, I go back. It's hard for me to go back and listen to a podcast. Um, I went back and, and listened to ours for the first time in two years. I rarely watch an interview I do or anything on TV or anything on the mic. Usually when I do it, I can feel whether it was a good segment or not. And I don't want to hear it again. <laughs> um you talk a lot about the qualities of uh, your grandfather Ray Boone and your dad Bob Boone. But between you and Aaron, which qualities do you think that you've picked up? They're obviously both old school, and which qualities do you think Aaron has more of? What qualities? And you're saying from my dad? Yeah, from your, from your grandfather and your dad. <coughs> I think Aaron and my dad are very similar. Mm -hmm. uh, they always have been. You know, very. Uh, how would I would it? Both of them very professional. Mm -hmm. um, very non-confrontational yeah, people. Sure. Um, you know, Aaron's the one. Everybody, you know, it's tough not to like Aaron. Most people like Aaron. He's not, he, he's very down the middle and very... Very positive. Very positive. And, and first and foremost, he's a good man. Uh, Aaron, you know, I've said it many times. He's just an uh, impeccable character. Great family man. Uh, very knowledgeable baseball man. Uh, very similar to my father. You know, I, I've said it for years. It's like, yeah, your dad drives you crazy sometimes, and he does, you know, with his phone calls and, hey, what are you doing? Uh, same thing I was doing an hour ago, Dad. I got to pick the kids up. <laughs> That's what dads do. You know, I find myself doing that to my kids. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'll get off the phone. And I'm like, why aren't they excited to talk to me? I'm like, because they're kids, and, and parents annoy us. Um, but he's very similar to my dad. He's very meticulous. Uh, I, I could see him right now, his mind just, you know, with this new gig and what an awesome job, you know, go from the booth to the Yankee manager and how serious he takes it is I, I could see him at night, just his, the gears going and all right, what am I going to do tomorrow as far as, you know, and meet with my coaches and, and that's how my dad was. And I watched him manage and, uh, 
you know, I knew he was up at night thinking, you know, and going crazy. Whereas I have a different approach to managing. I would just kind of more really rely on my staff and kind of come in and go, let's go, boys. Let's kick somebody's butt today. Uh, neither one is right or wrong. Sure. Of course, nowadays with the analytics, and, and there's a lot more to it with the technology we have, I think you would be uh, naive to just completely dismiss what's out there. Now, that being said, I'm, not, I'm still very old school. I'm not into shift every single pitch and, and do this and do that and analytics. You know, I like to watch players. You know, the analytics say, well, this guy's one for seven. Well, have you seen his seven at-bats? There were seven quality bats. He just had bad luck or he hit it in the shift or he did that. That doesn't mean he doesn't play today. Uh, shifts with me are, you know, I, I realize there is credence to it. Uh, with all of the, you know, all the, the the stuff we can plug into a computer now, of course there can be some benefit to that. Um, but as a player, the, baseball and, and sports in general, uh, there's a gut feeling that you have to live by sometimes. You know, I remember the guys I would shift and the guys I wouldn't shift, but I would go pitch by pitch. I got to know first and foremost who's who's my pitcher on the mound. Is it Greg Maddox? I know when they ask for a fastball away and and Greg's on the mound, I know it's going to be within here that's his misses mm. so I can trust where this ball is going to be I know the hitter I know his tendencies if I've got a young kid on the mound that that is a little wild they might call for a fastball away and it might be a fastball up and in so I can't trust that how I'd play that hitter as much with that particular person so I think there's a lot more to it than just oh this guy hits the ball here well try shifting on Tony Gwynn now Tony Gwynn will, he'll look how you defend him now that's a that's a very uh, unique sure. person, you know, one of the greatest hitters, uh, pure hitters ever. So you can't compare everybody. Everybody can't do what Tony did, but uh, I, I'm just kind of in the middle. I, I'm open to new things. I'm always open to learning, uh, but still at heart, I'm um, pretty old school. You uh, did your homework though, right? Like in reading your book, it seemed like you were a guy that would study. Oh, I, I would, as a player today, oh, I'd be in heaven because I was a big uh, film guy. You know, I loved to go in uh, the night, yeah, the night before a series and we'd be Drake, you know, we got the VCR and, yeah. you know, at the end of my career, we got to a computer a little bit, but you didn't have the all access like they have today. I would always watch the day, uh, the day of a game, <clears throat> excuse me, I would watch this, who we were facing, his last start. And then maybe the last start he faced my team. So I could watch, you know, what he did to me then. How did he pitch the guys that are similar to me, the, his last start? Has he changed anything? Has he come up with something new? And I would watch those films before each day. Uh, but like you said today, with it being on the laptop, I can go through, you know, if we're playing the Tigers uh, in a three game series tomorrow, in my room tonight, I can go through every single pitcher on their staff, every bullpen guy. Every bullpen guy's last three appearances. What are they doing? Are they struggling? Are they throwing? Are they, you know, are they going strike one? Yeah. Uh, has he come up with a cutter, or is he still going with that two seamer? There's so much knowledge out there, and I think knowledge is power. So from that standpoint, as a player, a current, if I were playing today, I would be, I would love it because I could, I could have everything done the night before, and I'd, I'd have it burned into my brain. Oh, this guy's, you know, they got so and so up in the pen. Oh, I watched him his last. Uh, three or four outings. I know exactly what he's got for me. Um, so I think that can be a, a real positive thing for a player if you take that to heart and if you really study. So yes, I think that's really an important part of the game. And then um, 
you know, coupling that with your approach, uh, I think it could be nothing but beneficial. Uh, you know, you call your family the first family in baseball, which I think is super Well, I don't call them that. That was kind of, we were dubbed that, and it kind of, when I thought about it, I thought, oh, well, it's, it's kind of true. Yeah, who else? Nobody um, else has done it, but... Uh, your grandfather, so Ted Williams, uh, batted against uh, Warren Spahn in the World Series. Yeah. Talk about your dad plays with Pete Rose and everybody else, the big yeah. red machine, where a lot of the guys from that team. Um, you get to play with probably one of the best teams ever. The, the yeah. Mariners of, of the early 2000s, and now your brother's the manager of the New York Yankees. I mean, you guys—that's a, a good a cherry on top. Yeah, I, you know, I'm so happy for him, and and I, like I said, I think he's going to do a great job. Um, just the man he is, yeah. and what he brings to the table from that aspect. Set aside the all the, the the analytics and how smart he is. You know, like you know, we were talking earlier. He's got a uh, big baseball IQ. He's very smart, and, and there's not. Uh, just because you're a good player or a great player doesn't necessarily make you a high baseball IQ guy. You know, yeah. I play with some great players that it's like they don't even know how they do it. And I played with some real average players that are brilliant as far as the X's and the O's. So I think Aaron's got a combo of both. Um, <clears throat> and I think, you know, he's got a great team. At the end of the day, uh, you can't put too much emphasis on managing because it doesn't really matter. The players would do it. You know, and I tease Aaron. I said, you know, if Aaron, if Judge hits two homers tonight and Stanton hits two homers, you're probably going to win. If they strike out six times and you lose, you stink as a manager. And that's life. Yeah. Uh, when you win, it's the players. And when you lose, it's the manager. And Because, you know, I've, it's a cliche, but they're not going to fire the players. So in, in this game, you get hired to be fired. So you might as well do it your way. And uh, take us through when you first heard that he was up for uh, up for the job. Were you, as a big brother, you certainly <coughs> <be> proud? <coughs> oh, I was proud. I, I <coughs> it was kind of real quiet. It wasn't as something that Aaron was out there lobbying for. Sure. You know, I think it's just something with he came to the Yankees. He hit that big home run in '03. Um, then he went to the booth, and he had that ESPN thing, which I thought he was, he became really good at. Um, but but I just think it's Aaron, his personality. Uh, and just through his years of being in ESPN and the contacts he made, and I think he had a really good uh, rapport with Cashman. Um, you know, he had gone through a lot. He had gone through that when he blew his knee out, yeah. and, 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 the Yanke- about it. and the Yankees released him. You know, that's that says something right there about Aaron Boone. Uh, blowing your knee out in a pickup basketball game and not covering up. I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know how many people out there can honestly tell themselves I would have done the same thing, but Aaron did. And people remember stuff like that. So I think that's the ultimate form of respect he had right there. But I think over the years covering the Boston Yankees, you know, he probably spent a lot of time with Brian and the organization, and they were very impressed with him. And, and when it when it came time where the Yankees were going to make a change, um, someone like Aaron came into their mind. So it all happened really quickly. Uh, but I was just happy for him. Yeah, me too. He's he's been doing great. I love how uh, just soothing he is. Like you know, you watch the post game interview, and he's just he's soothing, but on the inside, he's going. Pew, 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 pew. No, I like to get. Did on you watch the it. Yankees Red Sox game? I guess it was last week where Tyler Austin slides <coughs> in a second and the brawl. You know, I missed it. I was on a flight coming back from one of my flights right now. Um, I missed it. Uh, I've heard bits and pieces of it. Barely caught him with a spike. It certainly wasn't right, and you know, the game has created that. 
Uh, I disagree with changing the game in a lot of ways. You know, the, the, the fact that a second baseman now, when we're turning a double play, I have to stay anchored to that base. It's really hard because injuries yeah. will occur. You know, I'm, I'm built and I'm trained to, when, I, when that ball touches my hands and I turn that double play, is to get my feet moving and up in the air. And it's tough when you train your whole life to do that and say, now I got to stay anchored to the base because that's where you get injured. Nowadays, you have to directly into the base. And, and I think we've actually now are training the current player to, oh, he's not allowed to just barely tick you. You know, I don't think there was any vengeance with that. Like I said, I don't, I haven't seen the play over and over and over again. Yeah. But it's, it's, I don't know whose fault it is. You know, it's like, it's still an intense game with this guy coming to second base as hard as he can. He knows he has to slide straight in. And sometimes if he nicks you in the cleat, you know, still as a player, as a second baseman, as a shortstop, I'm still, even though I got to be anchored, if I'm just getting a force, I'm getting the force and I'm getting my feet up in the air. So if I do get clipped, I'm just going to flip. I'm not going to be anchored. I'm not going to, you're not going to snap my leg in half. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We're getting a little sensitive on, oh, if you barely nicked me. That's, you can feel, and I know if there was some intent there. So that you've got to be the judge in that situation and know, you know what, this guy came in honestly. And, he, and things happen in baseball when you're running full speed and you go make an honest slide into a base and, you're, and your cleat clicks off a little bit and nips you. You know he didn't mean anything. You as a player have to realize that and not make a big deal about it. it it's very obvious when someone comes in or when somebody comes in with intent to, to hurt you. Now, you come in with intent to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. You know, and I've always, I've always played that way, and I never had a problem. If you don't want to slide at second base, I'm going to hit you right between the eyes as hard as I can throw it. And I'm probably going to feel bad for a minute if I hit you and I knock you out and you're bleeding. But you're going you're, you're, you're gonna, to, I'm going to have a bigger problem with you continuing to do that. So I'll guarantee if I hit you right here once, you, you'll slide next But you time. never probably had to do that, right? Everybody got out of the way. Oh, yeah. But I was aiming right for here. If you came in high, I'm aiming right for there. And most of the guys, oh, last minute, we'll yeah. get out of the way. Um, and I'm not sitting here saying, I'm, oh, I'm a tough guy. I'm going to hit you in the face. This is going to interrupt me turning a double play, which is my job, which is my livelihood, which my team depends on. And you, by not sliding, are messing with that. Sure. So slide. You want to come in spikes high? Well, then we're going to have a big problem. And, my, and, and if I've got Norm Charlton in the bullpen, he's probably going to hit you in the neck next to that. So sure, if sure. you want to do that, there's, there's consequences. <laughs> and, and for myself as well. You know, if I ever did anything that, that wasn't correct, I, there, was, there was retaliation and I was going to have to pay a price. Part of the game. Absolutely. Um, we're wrapping up here. Just a couple more questions. We're with uh, Brett Boone. Brett, thanks so much for making time in mm -hmm. your uh, uh, super busy schedule here up in New York. And your son Jake's got, got a big doubleheader uh, this weekend in Columbia. They do. Hopefully yeah. the weather will be decent. Yes. I got my long johns in case. So he's done. He did get um, drafted, though, right? A drafted, yeah. And so Late 36th, 38th round. Does that make you guys the fourth generation? No. You know, he hasn't put on he a He has profession. to sign something. No. Uh, fourth generation, you got to make it to the big leagues. Okay. And you got to be an all-star. Well, no, I know You that. don't have to do all that. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I think when they talk about generations of baseball, you know. Uh, no, you're talking about the big leagues. I'm talking about the big okay. leagues. I'm talking about the real thing. <laughs> you're tough. <laughs> I'm talking about the real things. I'm going to be proud of Jacob, and I think Jacob's going to be uh, successful at whatever Jacob 
pursues. Of course, baseball is his first love, and he, he uh, as a dad, all I do is support him and wish the best for him. And, and I'll tell you what, watching him, he's got the instincts. He, he's got what it takes. He's going to have an opportunity in a few years uh, to get drafted and uh, go play professionally. And from there, it's up to him on, on what he does with that opportunity. Either way, as a dad, I'll be there to the end, whatever Jake, Jake Boone uh, ends up doing. Of course, as, as being selfish with our family, of course, that's what I want, is, yeah. is him to be a big leaguer and play for 15 years. But uh, well, what whatever he does is going to be good. You know, for, for your dad to, to be able to do it his whole career, and then your grandfather, and then both of you guys. What a, what a, yeah, a and I got, to, I got a chance, uh, 98, you know, Aaron and myself were part of the same infield in, in Cincinnati, and that was cool, too. Oh, I wanted to ask you. I, there, it, this didn't make the book, but I just thought it was a cool story. So when Aaron gets called up, he came up for you, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're sort of the fiery one. I think that's fair to say. He actually gets tossed from his first uh, game. He does. Play at the plate. <laughs> yeah. Play at the plate. That's great. And YouTube it if you're watching at home because that was a, just a funny story. He uh, gets his first hit, RBI, scores a run. He gets thrown out. Oh, he's thrown out. He's thrown and out. I, and I, I remember talking to him because I got thrown out of one game professionally. <laughs> and I said, how do you get thrown out of your first one? And we're the, we're the opposite. I'm the one that should be getting thrown out. I just know how to do it. I know how to do. I know how to yell at umpires correctly. You you need to learn how to do that. I remember telling him that. That's great. Um, and just wrapping up, you know, I was going through just sort of the, some of the lessons that I learned from you. Strong level of desire. I think if there was one thing that I learned about you is that you just wanted it so bad that it just breeded this confidence in you, and naive in some sense to what it was going to really take. In, to be in a lot of sense. Sure. I was as, I was about as naive as you could be. I had no idea how hard it was going to be to be a big league player and, and to to do it for a living. And, you know, I fortunately, I think professionally, I played 17 years. And, uh, but I never thought it, I thought it was going to be easy. Are you kidding me? You know, I had a pretty quick stint in the minor leagues. I got through pretty quick. And, you know, I came out of uh, Calgary, Canada, which was my AAA team. And, you know, I was hitting 320, or th I forget. I thought, and I go to the big leagues, and I remember my first at bat in, in uh, Camden Yards, and I hit a bullet up the middle for a ribby, and I got to first. And, and uh, being humble, you know, they got me my first ball, and and I'm thinking, this is it. This ain't a big deal. I'm going to get three, 4,000 more of these. Whoa. <laughs> you know, and, then, and, and that's the great thing about baseball. I was this hungry kid that didn't really care about what people thought how I walked, how I talked. I was going to the big leagues, and I was going to play there a long time. Um, and along the way, this game humbled me so many different times, knocked me on my butt. And uh, it, it was cool for me in segments. You know, I could look back when I was 28 years old and look at that 18-year-old kid and just laugh at him. You know, he had no clue what was about to hit him. Um, and I took, that, I took that on as a veteran player. You know, a, a lot of times in this game, when a rookie comes up, you'll give him a hard time. I was never a real hazer, mm -hmm. you know, because I thought as long as these kids come up, respect, pay respect to the guys that have been here for a long time, go about their business, play hard. I love to see that kid that had a little swagger in his step or, or a little bit cocky. He had a chance. Yeah, he he truly believed. You know, there's a difference between faking cockiness and faking uh, assuredness. And the real guys that are that'll tell you how good they are. I want that guy because yeah. he's got a chance. And as far as as far as humbling them, I don't need to do that. You know, 
I referred to Maddox earlier. Uh, Greg Maddox is pitching tonight. He's going to handle humbling this guy for me. I don't have to cut his shirt in 18 pieces for this next road trip. Uh, those guys out on the field will humble you. And it's all how you come back from those trying times. You know, we all got to get up and learn and make an adjustment. And Okay, this works. Okay, I see how he's, you know. And we all learn. And the guys that, that pick it up and constantly make the adjustments are the ones that are around and make a career out of this game. And the guys that don't are the guys that kind of fall by the wayside. But uh, it's definitely a learning process, definitely a very humbling process. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I did it the way I did it. Yeah, cool. Good for you. Your, your buddy uh, Trevor Hoffman is uh, getting the Hall of Fame this summer, huh? Yeah, pretty awesome. That's you know, exciting. You know, uh, yeah, I'm very happy for him. I think I'm going to go to the ceremony. Are you great? And um, it should be fun. Yeah. should be fun. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, we're sitting here with uh, with Brett Boone. You know, Brett, last time we, uh, we ended and we always – uh, and with the same question, so um, I asked you what advice you would give to your 18-year-old self, and you said you'd start working out earlier, yeah. and that you would enjoy the process more. Do, do you feel <coughs> like you're able to do that now, or do, are you enjoying um, the whole process of having, having Jake coming up and having, you know, the whole family? Yeah, and, and I'm back to, uh, you know, I've got 13-year-old twin boys, and I'm, I'm back <clears throat> helping coach their team again, which I thought I'd never do. You know, I did that with Jacob, and, and I kind of, when I stepped away and Jake went to high school, I thought, ooh, I'm done with that. Now the twins are coming up, and I'm like, all right, I better do it again. So the last year I've been uh, helping out uh, with his team, with their team. So I'm enjoying that. I'm getting to come see Aaron. I'm, I'm, you know, my daughter's about to graduate, and uh, Jacob's a freshman in Princeton. And, and so I'm pretty lucky dad. And I'm, I'm able now to kind of enjoy being a dad and seeing all these different activities. I'm doing stuff I never thought I'd ever do, you know. Like what? Uh, laundry. <laughs> you know, you I actually I do the, the laundry. I'm doing laundry. I'm doing the kids' dishes. I'm, making, I'm learning how to cook a little bit. You know, stuff my mom's amazed. She's like, I never thought Brett would ever do that. But it's almost like it's very kind of rewarding. I'll get all the laundry done and all the kids, and I'll feel like, yeah, look at me go. That's and um, so I'm enjoying being a dad. You know, this is a different sec, uh, segment in life for me sure. where I've always been on the go. I've always been traveling. I've always had people to do all that stuff. And uh, it's kind of cool when you just take it on yourself. And it's almost like a, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, wow, I accomplished a lot today. Now I'm going to go play golf. Um, but, I, you know, I have my little kids half the time. And I'm just kind of out there looking at different things. I'm going to get to see my daughter graduate in uh, a couple weeks now, I think May 11th. All right. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be cool. Right. I know she's excited. She's going to go out into the real world now. So I got a lot of different things going on um, as far as real work and going forward. We'll see. You know, I'm going to be keep my ears open and I'll be open to a lot of things. But uh, time will tell and, and my life will go where it's supposed to go. Awesome. Brett Boone, thanks for joining us thanks, on the Steve. 162 Experience. Okay. It's a wrap.